Romans 6 told us, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. How can we put feet to the doctrine of Romans 6.22? We can turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. And let's remind ourselves of the words of David to his nephews that they were too hard for him. One of the ways that we can become a servant to God and of righteousness unto holiness is to learn to rule our spirits and be as gentle as we can be and to get over anger and wrath, malice, and all the things that I hope you were able to read and find in Colossians chapter 3 that are works of the flesh that we are to mortify. Second Samuel chapter 3, all the history was given to you last Lord's Day. All I want is the last verse of the chapter. David said, And I am this day weak, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zeruiah, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. The event described here is Joab killing Abner. Joab and Abishai, previous to this event, had tried to get David to kill King Saul on two occasions, but he wouldn't touch the Lord's anointed. After this event, Joab will kill Absalom against David's orders, and Joab will kill Amasa out of jealousy because God was going to make Joab's cousin, Amasa, another nephew of David, captain of the host instead of Joab. So we have all these events with the sons of Zeruiah. Zeruiah was David's sister. David had a sister named Zeruiah. David had a sister named Abigail. Abigail had Amasa. He was a mighty man of war. And Zeruiah had three sons named Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. David was exceptional, and we want to be like David. The Bible tells us more about David. I've told you this so many times. We know more about how David thought, David acted, and the things that happened in David's life than any other ten Bible characters. We want to be like David, and his gracious spirit, his delight in the Lord, and his godliness. He had his faults, he had his sins, and some of them were heinous and great. But the Lord loved David, bragged about David, and compared all other kings to David. For those of you who, who love the history of the Samuels and Kings, what did David do when the Philistines killed King Saul, his arch enemy? He rent his clothes and wept and lamented in Second Samuel chapter 1 about this great king that fell to the Philistines, even though that man had tried to kill him for years. That's the spirit of David. Now, there was a little Amalekite that thought he could get a promotion in David's kingdom by coming and telling David that he had been the one to kill King Saul. Not, not good thinking. Not good thinking to come to David and tell him that you'd killed the Lord's anointed. So David called one of the young men over. He didn't feel like getting out of his chair. Kill this guy. His own mouth has condemned him. We want to be like David and not like Joab. I want every wife, when she's relating to her husband, thinking about her husband, to say to herself, I don't want to be like Joab. I'd rather be like David. I don't want to be too hard. So I'm going to speak about my husband as my Lord in my thoughts, like Sarah did in 1 Samuel, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. 
Every child, when you would think about your parents. Every parent, when you think about your children. Every husband, when you think about your wife. Every master, when you think about your employees. Let's be like David and not like Joab. There's a whole sermon that you can listen to that compares David and Joab even more. Let's turn in Luke, to Luke chapter 9 and get the New Testament illustration that we looked at last Lord's Day. We want to avoid the too hard of spirit. Fathers can have too hard of a spirit. Mothers can have too hard of a spirit. Husbands can. Wives can. Masters can. Employees can. Pastors can. Members can. Let's hate a spirit that David or the son of David or the Bible would say is too hard. And let's learn gentleness and graciousness, goodness and kindness, mercy and forgiveness, and the wonderful things that Colossians 3 told you, you ought to have. I got about 16 of them that were strictly relational. For instance, when it says, husbands, love your wives, it doesn't stop there. It then adds some nasty little words. I speak as a fool for a moment. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Is that a relational passion of a man's spirit? Can he get bitter about his wife? What does the Bible say about it? Don't do it. This is how we put Romans 6.22 into practice. This is how we go out of these doors and we make God our master and we slaves of his and we have, we yield our members unto righteousness to holiness. This is how we do it. I've told the men, Colossians 3.19 is a rough verse for men. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Your wife is going to disappoint you. Should, you. should the disappointment, she's going to frustrate you. She's going to irritate you. She's going to defraud you from time to time. What should all those things cause? Should they cause bitterness? No. She's probably doing those things to you because you deserve them anyway. But you should take them. And then train her. Go to her gently. Remember, you're the manager of conflict resolution in your home. And if there's conflict, you need to resolve it, and you're the manager of it. So get busy. But don't get bitter. Get busy. But don't get bitter. Get better. But not bitter. So that's how we put it into practice. What's Romans 6 mean if we don't go out of here with some very specific things that we ought to do? Luke chapter 9. Let's get a New Testament example. There's only one verse that we need to read. It's verse 55. He turned and rebuked them, meaning James and John. He turning is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said to James and John, rebuking them, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. When we relate to our spouses, children, masters, government, pastor, whatever, we do, we want to make sure that we know what spirit we are of. How do we know what spirit we are of? Because it feels good? Because we've thought about it? Scripture only. My thoughts, my ideas, my plans, my opinions are all worthless and so are all of yours. There's only one way to tell us and it's the scriptures of God. Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Well, Lord, how can I learn the spirit of God? Read my Bible. And you can learn the spirit of God. And that's what we want to do. James and John... 
got excited with the Bible story, as excited as the devil did by quoting Psalm 91 to the Lord Jesus Christ on top of the temple. They were, they were thinking about Elijah sitting on top of that hill and out comes the captain with 50 and says, come down, man of God. And Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, then let fire fall from heaven and burn you up in your 50. And they saw that this little village of the Samaritans had mistreated Jesus Christ. Could they justify it? He's the Lord of glory. You get down and grovel, you little Samaritan dogs. Or we're going to burn you up like Elijah did. And Jesus said, you do not know what you're talking like. That is not the spirit of the living God. We can just go to a different village and let them be that way. Instead, we like to fight. We like to argue. We like to strive. We like to blow up. We like to get bent out of shape. We like to get twisted. We like to get torqued. Ever happen in the job, Zach? Get a little twisted and torqued? I should. He's a, he's a man. He can take it. Because we all need to be thinking personally. Do I get twisted and torqued? When I turn the drudge report on and I see a picture of our president that's been put there by a man that doesn't respect him, and the pictures on the drudge report are never flattering to our president. They're there to torque you. And guess what? They torque me. So I can't look at them and i got to turn that thing off and get away from it because I know what the Bible says about how I should respond to our president. Right. We have to make this choice in every sphere of our relationships. You know not what spirit you're of. When you talk to your in-laws, when you talk to your children, when you talk to your spouse, do you talk in a way that pleases God and could be said, that's the spirit of the living God coming through that person? I'm asking you, or are you too hard? Are you like Joab? Let's go. Galatians chapter 5. We want to know. We want our spirits to be right. You know the passage. Isn't it a shame that you know it? See, it's not my shame for bringing the passage up again. It's a shame that I need to bring the passage up again so that we can all read it and remind ourselves of what our spirit ought to be like. Galatians 5, 22. For the fruit of the, but the fruit of the spirit is love. How much love was there between James and John and the village of the Samaritans? How much love was there? Of Joab to David, Joab to Abner, Joab to Absalom, Joab to Amasa, Joab to King Saul. Well, he had his reasons. There's always reasons, remember? There's murder trials because even murderers think they had a reason for doing what they did. You always have reasons. When I get torqued, if you were to ask me, I can usually think of five, ten, or a hundred reasons why I got torqued. And I can think of them pretty fast. So what? It's all vanity. The thoughts of man are vanity. It's the Word of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, if you want to know what spirit you're of, it starts with love. Love is the greatest grace taught in the New Testament. It makes you different from a devil. The devils believe and tremble, so if you've got faith, you haven't progressed yet. It's love. What is love? Somebody says to me, what is love? Love is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Charity suffereth long. And is kind, charity envieth not, is not puffed up, vaunteth not itself, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. That's what love is. It's just a little sentence there. It's just, 
It's just a little sentence with 15 phrases, and all you have to do is remember it and put it into practice. Then you've got the spirit that Jesus would say, I know what spirit ye are of. It's the spirit of my Father. It's the spirit that I have sent into your hearts. It's called the spirit of his Son. The fruit of the spirit is love. And love is defined in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love, what's the next aspect of the Spirit? Joy. What was Joab like? Harsh, tough, mean, vengeful. How about joy? Are you a whiner, a complainer, a murmurer, a sad sack? The fruit of the Spirit is joy. What's the next one? Peace. You're a peacemaker. You love to get along with everyone. You do everything you can in your power. How does the Bible put it? Thank you. As much as lieth in you, dig into the recesses of your whole being to scrape up a little bit of peace. We just sang about the Prince of Peace. He loves peace in our homes, peace in our marriages, peace in our church, peace in our business relationships. This is simple. Very simple. This is the difference between David and Joab. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Is there another one there that might fit? Long-suffering. That means we put up with what others do that irritate and offend us without getting torqued. Long-suffering. We're suffering because they're irritating us. How long do we put up with it? Long. But, But we're suffering. The Lord doesn't want me to suffer. He absolutely does want you to suffer. He wants you to see if you're like his son. Because if I had continued reading two more verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, the great example of being a good employee on the job was given by the Lord Jesus Christ when he went to the cross. Did he suffer wrongfully? Did he endure grief for our sins? When he was reviled, did he revile back? When he was threatened, could he, could he have said a few things about their future destiny? Could he have said a few things about the future of Jerusalem? Could he have described it in graphic detail? Could he have told them about their secret sins and what God was going to do to them over the next three years? He didn't do any of that. He went as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before her shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. Wives, do you open your mouth and answer again? Servants on the job, do you open your mouth and answer again? I knew a man once who worked for a big company and all the officers of that company were given a hardball to put on their desk, a baseball, an official Major League Baseball baseball to put on their desk because the president of the company wanted to make a statement that we were going to play hardball, that that man's company was going to play hardball. I know a man who walked into a meeting and took a 30-foot-long mahogany table and had a Chicago softball. That's 15 inches in diameter. It's made for girls and for guys who play Chicago softball. And he rolled that, the length of that 30-foot table, and said, there ain't any men that can play hardball at this table. The other end was the president. That's called answering again. That man was told after that meeting... If you ever say anything like that again, we won't have to worry about this conversation. 
We don't answer again. Does it say it in the Bible? Where does it say it? Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Answering not again. What wells up inside of you that makes something want to fly out of your mouth? It's that passion of Joab. It's that passion of James and John. And we want to crush it. It's a long time ago that that man told me about that. A long time ago. Lord, forgive us all for the things we've done in the past. Look at Galatians 5. Look what it says. The fruit of the Spirit. Because we want the Spirit that is of God. When Jesus would say to two of His trusted, most favorite apostles, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of, what is He saying about us? What is He saying about us? Well, here's how we find out. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I'll grab one more before we leave the context here. Gentleness. That is the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that he came in the spirit and the gentleness and meekness of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.7. There was no man with more authority in the New Testament than the Apostle Paul except the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. Paul had authority. Forget Pope Benedict XVI or John Paul or any of those popes and their pretended authority. We're talking about the Apostle Paul and his authority. But look at how he conducted himself. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Can you read that and believe it, that the most powerful man in the New Testament church, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, would describe himself as a nursemaid? We were gentle among you. What kind of gentility are you describing, Paul? As a nurse cherisheth her children, rocks them to sleep, strokes them, coos to them, so the apostle did to the Thessalonians. Gentle as a nursemaid? The Word of God. Oh, Lord, help us. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, the last two verses of that fourth chapter. Lord, help us not to be like Joab and help us to be like David. Help us not to be like James and John and help us to be like the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're pushed into a corner, when doctrine's at stake, when the glory of Jesus Christ is at stake, we'll get tough. Until then, all these little things that go on around us, let's be gentle as nursemaids. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness. What is bitterness? It's an unresolved offense that creates gall inside you that is like a poison and an acid that eats at you. And so whenever you look at that person or get near that person, you are upset with them. They irritate you. If they smile, you're angry. If they comb their hair, you think their hair's ugly. And it just, it just eats at you because it's an unresolved offense. Because offenses are to be resolved the Bible way so that that gall is not eating you from the inside. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, a bunch of talking and evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Malice is maliciousness. It's ill will and bad feelings toward another person. All those things put away. 
It's a choice. The choice is I'm going to yield my members as instruments of righteousness unto holiness. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to have malice. I'm not going to let it happen. The Lord tells me not to. Instead of the bad things in verse 31, look at verse 32. And be ye kind one to another. On an individual basis, let's be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Can strong men be tenderhearted? Was David tenderhearted? Can tough guys be tenderhearted? Could Paul be tough when he needed to be? But was he tenderhearted? These are the things we want tenderhearted. Tender. You're easily affected by someone else. You're very compassionate towards someone else. You have the gentlest and most tender feelings towards someone else. Oh, I think I, I, I think I may have hurt that person. I want to go make sure I didn't hurt them. Because you're tender-hearted toward it, one toward another. That's all the one-on-one relationships that exist in a church. Forgiving one another. Oh, we've got that one another again. You mean I gotta forgive everyone? Yeah, you gotta forgive everyone on a one-by-one basis. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So how much should you forgive them? Quite a bit. I speak as a fool. Quite a bit. Since the Lord's forgiven you 10,000 talents, sure, surely you can scrape up enough tenderheartedness and forgiveness to forgive them their hundred pence. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, tenderhearted. You know, when we think of a tenderfoot, we think of somebody who's not worth very much and he's not able to march yet because he's a tenderfoot. He's, his feet get raw and blisters in his boots and he's not really a soldier yet. But you know what? The Lord wants us to be tenderhearted. Right in here. We, we get affected very easily for one another. You get affected very easily for your spouse, your children, your parents, your master, your employees, your church members, your pastor. Can you drive a big truck and be tender-hearted? Big guys that drive big trucks. Can you be tender-hearted? David was tender-hearted. How in the world do you ball on a battlefield when your enemy is killed? Is there part of you that's saying, I think I'd have asked for the champagne? Is there part of you that thinks that way? That's the Joab part. Identify it. Hate it. How in the world did David do that? He bawled. He sang praises about King Saul on the battlefield. King Saul was a profane enemy of God and a profane enemy of David. How could he do that? Because he was in an office that God had given him. And David took the office and even went beyond it to praise the man. He didn't praise him for his sins. He praised him for his prowess on the battlefield because he was a warrior and that a great man had fallen. I look at that and it humbles me to the ground. I want to be like that so much. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace. So how often should you be gracious in the way you talk? I just need a word. Is that the right word? Most of the time, it's the right word. Let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Lord, teach us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be gracious at all times with just a little bit of seasoning. Just a little bit, a pinch, 
pinch of salt, a little bit of seasoning, of correction, of rebuke, of warning. Let the majority be gracious, merciful, kind, benevolent, gentle, cheerful, friendly conversation. This is the word of the Lord to us. James chapter 3. I've given you this one before, but I'll tell you I was given this one once when I was about 18 years old, and I've never forgotten it. Dad, do you remember? You took me on a long drive to see two Baptist preachers that dealt with angry young men and other afflicted souls. Whatever else happened that night, I don't know and I don't care about it nearly as much as the Word of God being shown to me by these verses being shoved in my face as to why you and I did not have the relationship that we should have, and it was all my fault, and it's right here. And is there anyone else in here able to admit this about your relationships with people? They stink because you have some of this in your life. James 3, verse 14. If ye have bitter envying, bitter. There's that gall burning inside you, that acid towards someone else, that resentment that you have. Envying is maliciously malicious thoughts toward another person. It's not just simple jealousy. It's beyond jealousy. You, re, you resent them for everything they have in their life. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, if you're fighting inside you, when you hear another person, they call you, they email you, you're around them, they irritate you and you get upset. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't get excited. Don't think you're right. Don't think you're doing something good. And lie not against the truth. Don't you lie against the truth of God's Word because God is telling us the truth right now about that kind of conduct, that kind of feelings inside you. This wisdom descendeth not from above. Remember, ye know not what spirit ye are of. Well, a spirit that doesn't come from above is a spirit we don't want. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. It is of this world. It is a sensual, just feelings. Just feeling, your, my, your feelings are hurt. And that's all that's created this situation. It's devilish. The devil is a murderer from the beginning. He infected Cain with bitterness about God accepting Abel's offering and accepting Abel and rejecting his offering and rejecting him. And he killed his brother for it. It was the gall of bitterness. Don't lie against the truth. Let the word of God crush you right now. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Is your, is your life pretty messed up? Is there a lot of dysfunction in it? Are some of your relationships really twisted out of shape? You probably have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. Don't lie against the truth. It doesn't come from God. You can say about yourself, ye know not what spirit ye are of, self. Except James 3 told you what spirit ye are of. It's an earthly, sensual, devilish spirit. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, the spirit that comes down from above and is in us, the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Pure motives. Then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. What did Romans 6.22 teach? that we are to yield our members as servants unto God and as instruments of righteousness unto holiness. 
What is the righteousness taught in this passage? Always making peace. Easy to be entreated. Gentle. This is the spirit that's from above. What do you like at home? You know, they say at home we let our hair down. You know, I had an aunt that had hair that she could sit on. She was about 70 years old. Aunt Ina. She could sit on her hair, but she was a farmer's wife. So that hair was up on her head all day long because she didn't want cows stepping on it or anything else happening to it. All day long. But when she got home, she let her hair down. I never got to see it down because they told me it was only behind the closed door of her bedroom. I don't think I ever saw it down. You see it down, brother? Great aunt of ours. That's the expression. We let our hair down at home. We're not, we're not strict, formal, reserved at home as like we are out in public. Okay? At home, how gracious are you with your children? How gentle are you with your wife? How merciful are you with your wife? Wives, don't excuse yourself just because you're called the gentler sex. Do you prove that you're gentler sex by your spirit toward children? towards your husband, toward others. What kind of a mother-in-law are you? You say, well, I think I'm a pretty good mother-in-law. That's the problem. Your thoughts about what you are as a mother-in-law don't count. It's their thoughts about you as a mother-in-law that count. We always deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing a pretty good job in our relationships, but what do other people think? Because they're on the receiving end of whatever we're dishing out in body language, words, or actions. They're the ones that dictate. How happy is your husband? How happy are your children? How happy is everyone that is related to Jonathan Crosby? doesn't matter what I think. It's what the Bible says, and that is the effect that I'm having on people because i got to measure my conduct by the effect that it has on others and go as far as lieth in me to make peace short of sin. Men can be harsh, critical, insensitive, Women can be cold, domestic, neglectful. What are you doing in your marriage? Are you a Joab? Are you Mrs. Joab back there in the back row? Are you Mrs. Joab or are you Mrs. David? Every one of us need to ask and answer it. How do I treat my wife? Am I... Now, David was quite the man. Do I treat my wife like David? Or does she run into Joab a couple times a day? Or a couple days a week. And she just sits there and smiles. But see, God doesn't just sit there and smile in heaven. He looks into my heart and he and I both know that sometimes I'm Joab. Are you Joab sometimes? We want to hate Joab. We want to get him out of us. We do not want to have the son of David say, you sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. And we can be hard on our wives in all sorts of different ways. Lord, help us to be better in our marriages. The Bible says in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. You can I've taught all this in pages and pages and pages, and hours and hours and hours, and I just did it on a Wednesday night, but I want to remind you, it fits this subject right here. This subject is, am I a Joab father, or am I a David father? Now, we don't want to really be a David father, because a David father was AWOL. He never even asked his sons, what are you up to? 1 Kings 1.6. But we don't want to be a Joab father and discourage them. Provoke them not to anger. You have got to manage 
You know, everybody wants to be a manager. I remember when I was young, all the young bucks like me in the bank, they were all talking about, I just can't wait till I'm a manager. You know, just get married and have kids. Then you're a manager. Why in the world do you want to be a manager? I never wanted to be a manager. I begged them and I contrived and connived and conspired to make sure that I got a staff position where I didn't have to manage people. I don't like people. But what are you like as a manager at home? You have a wife and you have children. What are you like? Are you like Joab or you like David? Did, did you notice in 2 Samuel 3 what it said when they offered David food? The nation came and said, listen, king, eat. Look at what we brought you. He said, God, do so to me and more also if I eat before this sun sets. What did they do? They didn't eat because it pleased the people to do whatever David wanted to do. Why did he have that kind of a relationship with Israel? Why was his name much set by in Israel? Because he knew how to balance authority, killing Goliath, getting his dowry in good order. You all know what I'm referring to, I hope. And he knew how to go in and out before Israel, and they loved him. He was gentle when it was appropriate. He was strong against the enemies of God. He played the harp. You know, they talk about a renaissance man. If there was ever a renaissance man that the Bible describes, it's David. We want to be like that. Are you like that at home? Are you like that with your children? I appeal to God often. God, my Father based on what he told me in Psalm 103. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. I appeal to that. If I appeal to that, then I better be that. If I'm appealing to God to be pitiful toward me, meaning he takes into account how weak I am, as it goes on to say in the context, he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust, then I better remember the frame of my children, their age, their abilities, what they're facing, and how much they want to do it, and measure all that and make a management decision on what is the best for that child. That's what I want the Lord doing for me. And I ask him about it all the time because I I have a lot of things he's got to overlook and pity me for. Are you that kind of a father? A prince that wanteth understanding is a, a great oppressor. I hope we remember that verse. From Proverbs 28:16, that's for men. If you're a parent in a home with little children, teach them to love one another. How could how could Joab hate Amasa so much, cousin? How could Joab hate Absalom so much, cousin? What was there so much fighting going on in Jesse's family for? If you have children, do not let them fight each other. It may be called sibling rivalry. It may be called jealousy or whatever. Cut it off. Why don't make sure that your home is filled with what the Bible describes as brotherly love. One's the spirit of David, one's the spirit of Joab. We need to forgive whenever and wherever we can, as quickly and as graciously as possible. Do you cover the sins and offenses of others? Or do you like to talk about them? Do you like to hold on to them? Do you find out something about someone else? Do you love to blow that out of your mind? Or do you like to talk about it? Do you like to think evil of that person? The Bible says that somebody that loves another person thinketh no evil. doesn't matter. He believes and hopes all things about another person. That is the rule of the Christian religion. You can have your religion. It's going to destroy you and your relationships, and it probably already has. Or you can have the religion of Jesus Christ. 
and it builds relationships. When someone repents, do you believe it? Or do you say, they got to prove it to me? I'm glad the Lord... Did you like Job 33 from the first sermon this morning? I have sinned. I have perverted that which is right. It profited me not. And then the next verse is, he'll forgive. That's simple. Or are you like the older brother out in the field? Do you know why Luke 15 is in the Bible? It's not to tell you how to be a father, and it's not to tell you how to be a prodigal son. What is Luke 15 in the Bible for? To tell you not to be like the older brother in the field who comes in resentful of the celebration for the recovery of the younger prodigal. Let us be like the Lord Jesus Christ who taught about the lost coin. One coin was worth celebrating over. One sheep was worth celebrating over. And a returned prodigal was worth celebrating over. If you are like the older brother resenting that somebody can repent in a day, in an hour, in a week, and be forgiven and have everything overlooked, you're just like the older brother, and you were the reason that there is Luke 15 in the Bible. That's the spirit of Joab. That's the spirit of James and John. The spirit of Jesus Christ and the spirit of David is to forgive. Look at his forgiveness of Saul. Look at his forgiveness of Abner. Look at his forgiveness of Amasa. Oh, Lord, help us to be like that. Do you, do you love, bless, do good, and pray for your enemies? Say, so who's my enemy? Anyone that's irritating you so that you have a, a propensity inside you to dislike them. It can be at work. It can be in church. It can be in your home. Do you love them? Do good to them? Bless them and pray for them. Because our Father in heaven wants us to be just like him. And this is how we are a slave to God. We are just like him. He sends his rain and sunshine on every one of his enemies. And we can be like that. And we should be like that. And we must be like that. That is how we become slaves to God and the members of our body as instruments of righteousness unto holiness. Can, can we assess all of our relationships and ask, if David were here, or the son of David, I don't want to put David any higher than the Bible does. If David or the son of David were here, would he say you have the same spirit as the sons of Zeruiah? If the Lord Jesus Christ spoke audibly to you, would he say, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of? You say, well, I don't know. I don't know what he would say. There's a simple way to find out. How well does your life and the way you treat other people line up with the Bible? We couldn't care less about your feelings, thoughts, habits, traditions, or the way you've always done it. The way that we've always done it is usually a very sinful way. We have to measure by the Bible. Is the Spirit of God in you so that you are full of love, joy, peace? I don't need to define those words. Just think about the person that is full of love, exuding joy. Is it peace? Long-suffering and gentle. Then we know that it's the Spirit of God. If it's harsh, critical, Negative, forceful, overbearing, bully, bully-like. It's the spirit of the devil. It's earthly and sensual. And it will lead to every evil work. And it leads to confusion. What's the effect going to be in your life if you don't change based on a sermon like this? The Lord's going to tear your life up and your relationships up from the inside out here and now. 
And then you'll face him and give an account for it in the day of judgment. If you will heed a sermon like this and change your ways, if we will say, I'm not going to serve sin any longer, I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to seek to be like David, I'm going to seek to be like him, instead of James and John and Joab, the Lord will bless you now with a holy life, his presence, 10,000% return on your portfolio, and eternal life in the world to come. That is the motivation that he set up for us in Romans 6, 21 and 22. And he addresses all those relationships in the Bible repeatedly. Let's be David's and the son of David's in the job, in our marriages, in our homes, in both directions, toward children and toward parents. Let's be so toward our government. Let's be so in our church. May God bless the preaching of his word for us to yield our members as instruments of righteousness unto holiness and to be the slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, Romans 1 through 5, you can delight in any part of it you want. It means absolutely nothing to God or us if you can't put into practice Romans 6. Romans 6 is the most important chapter of the first six. How are we going to live in response to the glorious news of the first five chapters? May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.